O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to picture in your mind, if you will, with me, a beautiful but hot summer day. And this was a few years ago. I was working on a farm. It was called Tender Shoot Farms out in Milan, Ohio. And I had just finished picking cucumbers. And the boys had come in. And what would happen in... uh, in, uh, at this particular farm is that the farmer kept some of us white kids around so that they could talk to us in the fields, but they knew that the Mexicans did a much better job at harvesting. So we'd go through and we'd harvest what we could, and then the Mexicans would come in behind us and get the rest. Wonderful work ethic that they did have. Um, but for some reason he kept us guys around too. We broke, we would get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, we'd be out in the cornfields by 7.15, we'd be hand-taking the corn off the husks, and you'd walk through the rows hunched over, and you'd grab the corn, and you'd twist as you walked, throw it back into the uh, tractor that was behind you, and keep moving on. And it was hard work, but it was good, honest work. And so after that, we'd go to the cucumber patch, and uh, we'd get to the patch, and we'd pull up these cucumbers. And if you've, ever, if you've ever picked cucumbers, you know that the leaves are, are prickly. And you know, you're out there in the sun and you're trying to get the cucumbers up and you're getting pricked in the hand, and, but you can't wear gloves because then you can't tell whether they're, they're ripe or not. And that goes on and on. But it was at the end of one of those days, around 4.30, which was quitting time because it just got too darn hot to work. And Clark Garris, my best friend and I, would leave the farm get into his uh, junker of a car, I think it was a Cavalier, and we'd come down from Milan, drive down by the house, pick up a 12-pack of beer, at least, um, and put it into a cooler of ice, grab a couple cigars, go down to the marina, jump in my little 14-foot John boat, start up the the, uh, engine and cruise out the mouth of the Huron River into the lake. Now, if you've ever seen a 14-foot John boat, it isn't that big, and it's not very seaworthy, so we weren't going far, but we had it made with that. We'd be out at the mouth of the river. Of course, it was 10 degrees cooler because we were out on the lake. We'd jump into the water, have a swim around, get all the sweat off of us, jump back in, We had our fishing lines. We'd cast our lines into the water. Sometimes with bait, sometimes not. (laughs) That wasn't the point. Light up a cigar, crack open a brew. Man, that was living. There's times today that I still think I had a better quality of life in that era than I do now, (laughs) to be honest with you. No responsibilities, hard work, hard play. In Jesus' day, fishing was not that kind of 
no problem pastime. It was something quite different. As we turn to the gospel today, we see Luke recording for us the calling of Simon Peter and other disciples as Jesus gathers the apostles together to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, you know, because Luke is the only gospeler, Luke is the only writer that records this particular story. Did you know that? If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18, you read another story. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It's short, which is part of the point. And it reads this way. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee and their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. If you turn forward one book to the Gospel of Mark, you read almost the same account verbatim, almost the very same words. And of course, John's doing something different, but John's always doing something different, right? Why does Luke dwell on this passage? Why is he the only gospeler that, that recounts this story to us? I think he's got a big point in doing so. You know, the gospels aren't just put together willy-nilly. It's God's word. It's done very intentionally. And it's done often with thematic and dramatic purpose. We know that Luke was writing to the Greeks and the Gentiles. And perhaps he begins with this passage because it's universal. The calling of the disciples. Think about it. If you go around the Mediterranean, what are most people doing? Depending on for their meat. They're fishing. They're around, the Roman Empire stretches around the Mediterranean Sea. The Greeks are around the Aegean Sea, right? All the way from Africa around through where Jesus is, through to Northern Europe, this is a way people make a living. It's hard work. Even if you're not a fisherman, you understand the value of hard work, of fishing. It's quite an, the opposite context, the opposite um, emphasis than we think of when we hear gone fishing. You know, when we see the sign gone fishing, we think, ah, the beer, the boat, the cigar. When the ancients heard gone fishing, they thought, oh, hard work, hard work. Something more akin to farming, which of course Jesus uses too throughout the Gospels. The fishermen here in Luke's Gospel are doing something very specific. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake 
of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now don't miss that. What's going on there? Why are they washing their nets? What does that tell you? Contextually. They've been out fishing. They've been working. What else does it tell you? Well, Peter actually tells you himself in verse 5 what was going on. Peter says, verse 5a, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So the disciples have been working their hands to the bone all night. And if you look at the ancient sources, the way that you would fish in this era is that you would stretch out your nets in a big semicircular, you'd lay your nets out, you know, about 100 feet, semicircular pattern, and you would let them sink down, and then you would grab the nets with your hands, your bare hands, and you would pull them in, hand over hand. And you would do this systematically until you caught the fish and could bring them into the boat. And so think about what work that was. You were doing that all night. Maybe 20 times, maybe 50 times. I don't know, I'm not an ancient fisherman. But tedious, back-breaking, hand-cutting work. And now, what are they doing? They're drying their nets. They're drying their nets. Don't miss that, because that's part of what's really important here in this story. Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew how to work hard, to work with their hands. The, these fishermen's livelihoods depended upon the sea much as a farmer's depends upon the rain. Only the strong could do it, and they were the strong. Here they are now washing their nets, letting them dry. Why? Simply so that they wouldn't be eaten away. You see, the nets were made of linen. And the salt and the elements in the sea would eat away the linen. So you had to take the nets out, spread them out. You know, can you imagine finding fresh water, washing them off, and then propping them up, letting them dry? That's when Jesus comes on the scene. Look at verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said something to Simon. And we'll stop there for a moment. Think about this for a minute. The words that Jesus preaches and teaches aren't important here. It's a very rare part of the gospel, in the gospels, where we see that to be the case. It's not Jesus' teaching and preaching that Luke records, but rather his personal conversation with Peter. We continue with verse 4. He said to Simon Peter, Simon, that is Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Think about what craziness this was to ask Peter 
and his fellow, fellow fishermen to take these nets that he's been fishing with all night, that he now has taken out of the water, laid out, scrubbed, rinsed, dried, and say, take those nets, put them out one more time, Peter. What would you do? I know, I think to myself, Lord, you're crazy. There's an old fisherman saying that 100% of the fish are in 10% of the sea. And you don't increase your probability that much by casting your nets out one more time. Furthermore, these are linen nets. Do you know why they fished at night with linen nets? Because the fish can see the linen nets during the daytime. But at night, they'd be invisible. So what Jesus is asking Peter, a professional, hardworking man to do, exhausted by the way, is to do something completely opposite of everything he's been taught, of everything that he's learned. One more time, and risk getting the nets all dirty again, and having to do that all again, and losing that amount of rest so that he can go out and fish again the next night, because his livelihood depends upon this. And yet, all that's got to be going through Peter's head. Look at Peter's answer. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. The word that Jesus, or the word that Simon uses there in verse 5 for master is not the typical word usually translated. It's epitata, which is not lord, but rather overseer or boss or head fisherman. Peter's obedience to Jesus is amazing. It's shocking that he'd do this. But what's more shocking is the miracle that follows because of obedience. Look at verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they began and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Do you see what's going on in Peter? What's his reaction to the miracle? He didn't react to Jesus' teachings. If you look back earlier in Luke, Jesus teaches in the synagogues. Jesus heals. Jesus drives out demons. Heck, in verse 38 of chapter 4, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Something very personal. But here in this story with a bunch of fish, in Peter's profession, is where Jesus meets Peter and it clicks. It clicks. And only Luke records this. Why? Well, I think there's something going on here with Peter 
beyond the miraculous. I think that Peter here reacts the way that he does because he sees that Jesus is master of all the world. Yeah, it's one thing to give a good sermon. It's one thing to teach. That's what rabbis do. Sure, it's amazing that he heals. It's amazing that he casts out demons, but there's examples of that in the Old Testament. That's what prophets do. But here, Jesus is master of the sea itself. Who can do that? Do you see, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus calming the sea later on where we read that even the wind and the waves obey him. Nature itself takes direction from this man. That 10%, that 100% of the fish and 10% of the feet of the sea during the day, Jesus directs into their linen nets so that they can lift them up with abundance. And what's Peter's reaction, verse 8? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Why? He knows who he's facing. And I think sometimes we forget who we're facing with Jesus Christ. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, but God himself in command of everything. Who Nothing is outside of his control. And Peter gets that here. And he says, Look, I'm not worthy. You know, you read all the time in scriptures about people falling down before the angels, but this isn't an angel. This is God himself in the flesh, and Peter knows it, and he's following a pattern that's established again and again in the Old Testament. Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the throne room of God and sees God, and what does he do? He says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's the same idea. That awe, that holy, holy, mind you, but holy terror of who God is. And he changes his verbiage. Peter goes from calling supervisor or boss to what? Lord. The Greek, Kyrie. Does that ring a bell? Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. There's something else here in him calling, in that he's calling himself a sinner, recognizing his position before a holy God and putting himself completely in the hands of that holy God. Why does Luke start telling us about this particular story in the call of the disciples? Well, first of all, to the original audience, what he's saying is, this is how to be useful to God. This is how to be useful to God. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, is one of our old hymns. This is how to be useful to God. What he's telling to Peter and the disciples, I'm going to use you guys, you hard workers, but all of your experience, all of your trade, all of your know-how has to be crucified and put in my service. Second of all, what does this passage say 
to the church throughout the ages. It says that this is how God uses the church. Not in power, not in strength, not wielding authority, but in the small things, in the underworkings of things. Maximus the Confessor says, just a little boat boat holds the dying fish that have been brought up from the deep, so also the vessel of the church gives life to human beings who have been freed from turmoil. You see, it's the individual human beings plucked from the sea, not for death in our case, but for life. What's it say to us today? Well, let's finish the passage. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, says, O Lord, says Peter. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. What does this passage say to us today? Do not be afraid. You are sinners, yes. You and I are unworthy, yes. But to know that is the beginning of being worthwhile in the hands of your Lord Jesus. And yes, you're an expert in many things. Yes, you have more knowledge and I have more knowledge available to us than anybody for the last thousand years. And yet all that is worthless if it's not in the hands of Jesus. Is Jesus your supervisor or your Lord? Think about that for a minute. Is Jesus your supervisor or your Lord? What's the difference? What does a supervisor do? He oversees, he counts the tasks, he counts on you to make it happen. Yes, you better make it happen or you might lose your job. What's a Lord do? A Lord has full possession of you. A Lord has you not as an employee, but your whole entirety. And in this case, that's a good thing because you can't do it by yourself. All of your expertise, all of those hardworking things that you do are worthless if Jesus is just your supervisor. But they're everything if Jesus is your Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? I think it's a question we have to come back to time and time again. Lord, is there something I'm doing in my life that I've always done because I'm in this pattern and it's always worked for me, but you're telling me to do something else? Lord, am I depending too much on my studies, 
on my physical prowess, on my habits, on those things which I've used to build myself up? Are you just overseeing those things or are you commanding me to change as my Lord? Do you see the difference? May Jesus be your Lord and not your supervisor. And may the Holy Spirit continue to point out those things in you and me that he would have us change. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.